The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. Today's buzz, SMEs. Those of you living under a rock, that's small to mid-sized enterprise. Somebody, people, some people say SMB, small to mid-sized business. But that's our topic of the day. Let's get started. If you're the entrepreneurial founder or business leader of a small to mid-sized company, I bet you're facing challenges. They could be big, they could be small, they could be mid-sized. And I bet they test your commitment every single day. Let's do a reality check. After you get past the financing, I know, what do they call it? The the three F's, the family, friends, and fools. You go for money, and if you're lucky, you get an angel investor. Wow. After you build a core leadership team who shares your vision and your mission, that's a tall order in itself. Then you have to focus on the day-to-day. How do you open sustainable channels of distribution? How do you engage new customers and keep them and grow that base? How do you scale technology as you grow? Because that's what it's all about. How do you master that vast world of social media opportunities? Say the right thing to the right audience, when and where and respond, and so much more. It's a lot. Have you figured it out yet? We have three experts on the panel with me today who will help us figure out, help us learn how successful businesses are getting it right. So you don't want to go anywhere for the next 58 minutes. Experts speak. I'm going to introduce my first panelist. It's Brian Moran. He's the founder and CEO of Brian Moran and Associates. Well-named, I must say. And here's an interesting quote from Brian. He says, if you want something bad enough, you'll find a way. But if you don't, you'll find an excuse. Oh, such is life. Brian Moran, thank you for joining me today. Where are you calling from? And welcome. Talk to me. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm uh, from New Jersey, but today I'm in Tampa. I, uh, I tend to uh, travel quite a bit for my work. Okay. Well, Brian... I'm delighted to have you. This is quite an interesting quote. I think it applies to almost everything we do in life, but we're applying it appropriately to our topic today, SME. So let me repeat the quote, and then you'll tell me what it means to you and how it relates to our topic. You say, if you want something bad enough, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. So talk to me, Brian. Well, it, it's, it is what it is. It, it, you know, a lot of people throw up um, um, ambitious goals. You know, those who even set goals, you know, they throw up ambitions, one not based in reality, and then, you know, they don't put together a business plan on how they plan to get from where they are to where they want to go, and then when they fail, they don't understand why, uh, you know, and they, so I just, well, you know, were you motivated or you committed? You know, motivated gets you out of bed on the first day. Committed mm-hmm. gets you out of the bed, you know after the second month when you don't feel like it and you're sick and it's raining outside. 
And um, I think that's the difference between success and failure. Absolutely. Now, now, for the entrepreneur, Brian, it takes a lot of getting out of bed every day, past the two months, past the 12 months, past the two years. It's a long haul, isn't it? It takes a lot of of commitment, as I said in my opening, a lot of motivation. Do you have a, a quick core advice for people who are saying, oh, dang, do I really, did I really want this? What am I going to do now? Any any words of wisdom before we move to our next panelist, Brian? Uh, sure. Well, it's funny. Listening to your introduction, I, I think that everyone who starts a business should also get a superhero's outfit, you know, whether uh. it's Superman or Wonder Woman or Aquaman, <laughs> because of all the things that you have to do. Uh, you know, the advice is, again, see the big picture from 20,000 feet. Business is about mountains and valleys. You're always either ascending or descending. So if you're in a valley and you know and you can't see the light, know that it's there. Know that if you keep walking, you're going to come out of the valley and you're going to start heading towards the mountain. But when you get to the mountaintop, you know don't don't sit there and and just you know admire the view. Appreciate how what it took to get you there because you don't stay on the mountaintop. You know, soon enough you start the descent again. And uh, that's that's really the name of the game is to know where you are and whether you're ascending or descending. Thank you very much. Great words of wisdom and a great start to our topic, Brian Moran. And I'm going to introduce the second panelist today to join you. It's Andrew Sherman. He's a partner in the Washington, D.C. office of Jones Day. Here's another very interesting quote, this time from Andrew Sherman. He says, innovation without execution is an irresponsible waste of corporate assets and it dilutes shareholder value. A lot of meat on the bones there. Andrew Sherman, welcome. Where are you calling from today? Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Okay, welcome all the way from D.C. That's where your office is. So tell me, innovation without execution is an irresponsible waste of corporate assets. At which point does it become irresponsible and wastefulness? Well, it, I think at the point where it's not brought to, uh, to its natural cycle of development. Uh, you know, we're living in a time today, and hopefully we'll talk more about this throughout the show, where Corporate governance is under the microscope. Leadership is under the, go- under the microscope. Use of corporate shareholder dollars is under the microscope. Um, some companies uh, with, are sitting on hundreds of million dollars of cash, and some, many SMEs are struggling for every dollar. And in this resource-constrained environment, you know, to pursue ideas without letting them go through their natural course or you know, allowing them to, to, to be harvested is really an irresponsible uh, waste of corporate resources and probably a breach of the company's fiduciary duty. And that lesson really applies to both small and big enterprises. In fact, maybe more so to small and mid-sized enterprises than even big companies. Why do you say that? Why more so to small and mid-sized? What's, what's your because, point here? you know, if, if a large company pursues an innovation project that doesn't work out, you know, it's a rounding error in terms of impact on earnings. If a small company allocates very precious resources towards something and doesn't treat it properly or doesn't let it, you know, uh, uh, cycle out to where it should go, uh, that could be the difference between making money or not for the year. It could be the difference between employee mm-hmm. bonuses or not. It could be the difference between that small business owner being able to pay for their daughter's tuition. Uh, the impact is more significant when resources are more constrained. 
So it's concentrated. The value is concentrated. Interesting. So I, I guess what you're saying, Andrew, is that it's not enough to say, wow, we're hitting the market running. We have a great idea. We're going to put one foot after the other getting out of bed every morning and say, look at us. We have this. It's great. But to stop there is wasting everything you've invested, whether it's money or resources, people, time, ideas, promotions, whatever it is. got to keep going and make it happen. Thank you, Andrew Sherman. Great words of wisdom. And let's round out the panel with Ursula Ringham. She's a director of Global indirect channels, ecosystem, and channels. I think I have channels there twice at SAP, and Ursula sent me the following very inspirational quote. Every great company started with an ambitious idea. I love that. Ursula Ringham, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me, and thanks for introducing us to our other panelists. Appreciate it. So, Ursula, every great company started with an ambitious. You didn't say a great idea. You didn't say a brilliant idea. You said ambitious, and that shows me forward motion along the lines of what Brian and Andrew are talking about. So tell me about your quote, Ursula. Well, in my career, you know, I've worked with a lot of different startups and entrepreneurs and mid-sized companies, and, you know, even the companies I've worked for with Adobe, Apple, now SAP, and you go back to the beginning, and what was that journey? How did they get to where they are today? And I'm always fascinated by the backstory. And it always began with this ambitious idea, that one idea that they thought they saw a gap in the market, and they decided to go after it, and they got people to get interested in it and support them. And so now we have these great companies, and there are tons of small, medium enterprises out there right now that have those ambitious ideas, and they will in the next five, ten years become those next great companies. Okay, that's a lot of a lot of forward optimism there. I appreciate it. Ursula, Andrew, and Brian, I have a very tough question for you right now. What, it may be the hardest question I ask you all day. What's in your cup today? Because you are on coffee break with Game Changers, and we want to know what you're drinking right now, or what do you wish you were drinking, or what's planned for right after the show when I release you in about another 53 minutes. So let's circle back to Brian Moran. What are you drinking today, or what do you wish you were, Brian? Yeah, knowing that, that that was a question that I probably would be asked, I'm drinking a skinny vanilla latte. <laughs> Which, if anybody <laughs> yeah. knows me, is probably laughing right now. But I have a uh, a, a regular um, uh, thing that I do with my, my daughter. And uh, on Saturdays, we go to uh, Starbucks, and mm-hmm. uh, we order it and drive around and talk. So that's oh. what I got today. How nice. Can you tell me what the recipe is for a skinny latte? Because I, I don't no know. Ex- I have no <laughs> idea. I actually ordered it as a goof uh, because I thought it sounded funny. I, uh, you know, I, I, my coffee is black or maybe with some skim milk. So I ordered right. it the first time and uh, thought it was funny. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, well, this isn't so bad. I literally have no idea what they put in it. Other than okay. Okay. <laughs> Somebody can send us a recipe for what right. the heck's in a skinny. Thank you so much, Brian. And and regards to your your daughter. Uh, funny story. My son, when when my first granddaughter was probably six months old, he used to bring her to Starbucks on Sunday morning in a little basket draped with a, a gingham coverlet and put her on the table while he had a Sunday morning coffee and whatever, a, a bagel or a donut or whatever. And everybody would come over and say hello to Sarah. And before she could even talk, she had friends at Starbucks. It was part of their routine. Part yeah. of their their father-daughter bonding so coffee is certainly a good family bonder thank you brian andrew sherman can't wait to hear i won't ask you to top that story but what are you drinking today well my day started straight black simple straightforward powerful uh with the morning i've had up until the radio show i'm thinking a little shot of pappy van winkle would come in handy inside the coffee so uh 
I would say it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting morning to date. Pappy Van Winkle, you got to tell me, not being a drinker, I assume that's it. What are we talking about here? We're, We're talking, talking about, about, as Brian knows, a very uh, difficult to find um, brand of bourbon that uh, Brian has a habit of going to fine restaurants and bars, <laughs> drinking uh, the Pappy Van Winkle and sending me a picture of it, which, by the way, Brian, <laughs> notwithstanding digital media advancement, you cannot enjoy Pappy Van Winkle via email. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the two of you know each other way too well. Thank you very much. Ursula, I can't ask you to top that, but I'm willing to say go ahead and give it a try. What's in your cup today, Ursula? So I'm the uh, quirky California girl, and I don't drink coffee, sodas, or anything with caffeine. So what I can Mm -hmm. tell you, though, is after this show, I'm going to go make a drink that is egg whites, kale, almond butter, uh, banana, and oatmeal. So, sorry, everyone, that's just the uh, quirky Californian in me. <laughs> oh, that sounds – is the oatmeal raw or cooked, I have to ask? It is raw. It is raw. I had a, feel, I had a feeling. <laughs> By the way, we have, a, we have a tweet here to your point, Brian Moran, from Malcolm Kimberlin and SAP. He says, I believe a skinny latte is steamed, non-fat milk, and espresso. But we don't want to burst your bubble. So, there, there you, you go. go. Whatever, whatever it is, thank you, Malcolm. And Malcolm's probably drinking something wonderful like Equator Coffees or uh, I don't know what, what machine he's using right now. By the way, they don't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days. I wonder why. It's time to give my panelists a break because they know when we come back, it's going to be a marathon round table 30 minutes non-stop that's right put your seatbelts on i'm talking today to brian moran founder and ceo of brian moran associates andrew sherman a partner in the washington dc office of jones day we'll ask him what jones day is when we come back and ursula ringham director global indirect channels ecosystem at sap and little birdie told me ursula is also a thriller novelist we might have a chance to find out what she loves to write about and if she gets inspiration from her business day job our topic today is growing your small to mid-sized business, smart tips for entrepreneurs. And if you've been listening and taking notes, we've already given you quite a few. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers Live. It's Wednesday, May 13th. Lucky 13th because it's Wednesday. We'll go with that one. You're listening to us on the Business Channel. We have a lot more where this started from. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com 
And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, lively conversation on growing your small to mid-sized business. Some of you know that is SMB or SME, whatever you call it. Our panel today is sharing with us smart tips for entrepreneurs, how to do it right once you get past the financing and the core leadership team, all the things it takes to keep you committed and focused and going forward. You are responsible for your business, for the financiers, and a lot of people counting on you. So let's see if we can help you do it right. We're going to start off the panel discussion, the roundtable, 30 minutes nonstop, live here we go. Brian Moran, and I'm going to start with a talking point you sent me before the show. Brian, you said social media is a catalyst in changing the way the world communicates. It's now just as easy to talk to someone in India as in Indiana. And here's the point. From a business perspective, new markets are opening up and barriers to entry are coming down. Let's talk about this in relation to SMEs and entrepreneurs. Brian, please get us started. Sure. Well, I mean, obviously, social media is the way that, you know, your customers are, are you know, choosing to communicate, you know, they, whether they're posting reviews of your product or service or they are talking, you know, they're posting pictures, um, they're, they're going online to gather more information. It, it's it's the, the conversation has left the, you know, the retail stores and left, uh, uh, you know, the normal traditional means of, of communication, and it's gone online. And so if you're a small to mid-sized business, you need to be participating in those discussions. And everybody thinks, a lot of people who are new to social media think it's only about selling. That's a new channel to sell my product or service. That's only one part of it. There's also uh, social listening, right? You can do research online about what your customers' needs are, what their pain points are. You can do competitive analysis. You know, you can find out what your competition is doing because they're telling people online, whether it's a conference they're attending or somebody they're meeting or somebody, you know, a big piece of business they just lost. And, you know, the third thing you can do, the third most important thing you can do is branding. You know, it's a great opportunity to brand your business and introduce it to people, as I said, in, whether it's in Indiana or it's in India. Um, mm-hmm. the, the barriers to entry are coming down because of, I literally talk to people all over the world every month, uh, every week. I'm, I'm talking to somebody from Ireland, Australia, Kuwait, uh, Brazil. So it's, it's amazing the potential that social media offers. All part of the neighborhood. Let's hear what Andrew Sherman and Ursula Ringham, who wants to chime in on what you have to say about the value of doing social media well from the entrepreneur SME startup point of view. Um, it's Andrew. If, if you don't mind, I'd like to comment on what Brian said. I, I think that it's everything Brian said and then some. You know, I come to this to this radio show today wearing the hat of a, of a corporate transactional lawyer uh, interested in governance and M&A and innovation harvesting. And what we're seeing is even bigger than Brian said. It's a complete democratization of, of, of people's voices regarding corporate governance, corporate strategy, corporate direction, branding, uh, what products get rolled out. You know, ask the audience. I mean, my, my theory goes all the way back to the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire show when people would put their, their trust in, in a polling of the audience as to who had the right answer. And now we've electronified that. Um, you know, you have so many tools 
available to express yourself that weren't available when most of us on this call were in high school or college. And those voices are now becoming something that you either listen to or you die. It's that mm-hmm. straightforward. I love the comparison to the TV show. That certainly sends it home. They did trust the audience very, very much, most of them. Sure. Thank you, They're Andrew. With a million First- dollars. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and in those days when that show was on, that was a lot. Now I, don't, I think any show that offers less than a million is a, a cheap production. I, can t- I'm I can't. Still I can't. Just for the <laughs> I would. I would too. I don't, don't tell anybody. Those, those kinds of bars. I, okay. Ursula, talk to me. The thought of social, the impact for the opportunities for startups. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have one of those husbands that does all of his research online. He asks on Facebook his friends, what do you think of this product? And I know there was a study a couple years ago that I think 80% of the buyer's journey um, before they even contact the company that has that product is done online beforehand. And so social is so important because people are listening to each other. And you might not know that person in Ireland if you're in San Jose, but if you have a connection with them and you're interested in a similar product, you might start to listen to what they have to say about it. So it is very important that the SME listen to what is happening out there in social and actually use it to their advantage and build awareness with their customer base. So I posed a question to all three panelists right now before we move on to a different conversation thread. How much time should, let's take it from the position of a a real startup, how much time should they spend? Do they need one person dedicated to tapping into social? Which social channels? Is this a 24-7 job? Is this a chief social media officer job? How much should they do it? How critical is it to forming and honing and tweaking that business plan? Andrew, Brian, Ursula, who wants to take it? I'll start. It's Brian. Um, okay, Brian. You know, social media, this is the one thing I say to all my clients. Social media is a means to an end, all right? So you have, I hope that whether you're a startup or a small business or a mid-sized company, that you have a strategic goal every year, every month, every week, a strategic goal for your business, and that is specific, measurable, hopefully attainable. Uh, so maybe it's a dollar amount. And then you overlay an operational plan onto that that says this is how I'm going to get where I am to where I want to go, right, to that dollar amount or to the number of new accounts that you want to bring in. That's when you, that's when you start to work on social media and you say, how can social media get me to that specific goal? Will it help me find new accounts? Will it help me connect with my existing customers? Um, you know, you think about the times that you spend going to trade shows and conferences and in-person meetings, and you can complement that or supplement that with social media to engage with these same people in a non-invasive manner. So the question, everyone always says, well, how much time should I devote to it? Okay, well, you know, it's a process. You're not going to learn it overnight, okay? Social media is like college. You can't take 128 credits in a semester. You're not going to learn social media in 30 days. But commit the time and the resources to learning it properly. Very critical. Andrew yeah, Sherman, I'll any comments? That. Uh, you know, I teach business planning and strategy courses at Georgetown and University of Maryland, and sometimes the final paper deliverables is a business plan uh, in my student group, for my student groups. And, you know, five years ago, I don't think I would have viewed – the social media section of the business plan as anything more than a subcategory, perhaps, of the marketing or branding plan. Today, it's its own document. Uh, it's its own, you know, standalone section of the business plan, and 
in some cases, depending on the business, the industry, the vertical, the target consumer, it's the most important section. Um, so I think it is inside the context of business planning. Uh, the social media strategy has riven up, risen up the food chain from, you know, an interesting footnote to a key component. Uh, and I was with a growing, an entrepreneur growing his business this morning for breakfast, and he said, look, you know, it's not even, we don't even think of it as social media anymore. We just think about it as community. And we need to be where our consumers uh, want to belong and identify with our brand. And since the bulk of those consumers are, are electronic, that's where we need to live. You know, it, it's, it's a little bit like the term e-commerce. It was called e-commerce for a long time until we just dropped the E and started calling it commerce because it became so prominent. And Great points. To, go ahead, Andrew. Go ahead, Andrew. Andrew was saying with mm -hmm. millennials now, they are born with an iPad in their lap, and we have to address that, that they are going to be socially competent. And so companies moving forward, you need someone, not necessarily 100% dedicated, but someone has to have the task of managing the social um, relationships and the social channels for that company. You need someone who is that expert. Thank you, Ursula. I was going to comment on uh, Andrew's comment that they don't don't think of it as social, think of it as community. That's certainly a very powerful word with a lot of history and a lot of tradition behind it. It takes it out of the newbie status into we need a community around this. Ursula, I'm going to take a little side note here, a little sidebar with you. I have here in your bio that in your spare time, you write thriller novels about the high-tech industry and your latest novel, Privileged Corruption, explores Silicon Valley's obsession with software startups <laughs> just can you just give us a quick overview is this germane to what, what we're talking about these software startups are should they be listening the fictitious ones be listening to this conversation about the tips for successful entrepreneurs um, absolutely because the one thing that a lot of people forget about is whatever you say on the internet is forever there and uh, I think social is so important and as companies and entrepreneurs you have to uh, make sure that the messaging, the support messages you send out there are targeted and accurate, and you don't want to have to take something back. And so, yes, the fictitious ones might run into problems because someone said something, <laughs> and it's out there for the world to see. You can't take it back. And your imagination is going to write it very well, I'm sure. Sorry for the little plug, but I'm sure you appreciate it. You. Let's move our, you're welcome. Let's move our conversation. Andrew Sherman, I want to look at some of the notes you sent me before the show. I think you've already brought up some of these points, but I'd like to explore. You say, whether you call it harvesting intangible assets or intellectual property management, entrepreneurial companies must make the most of everything they have to offer if they want to remain competitive. So competitive is the key word I want to talk about, Andrew. How can you be competitive? if you're just starting out? With whom are you competing? The big, wide world of global markets, global supply chains, global client lists. How, how much, how fast do you need to compete and with whom to really get a foothold? What's your, your point of view from your experience, Andrew? Well, uh, first of all, let me address the issue of size. You know, if mm -hmm. we were uh, walking into a delivery room uh, in the hospital um, and, and there were the, you know, that room you peer into the glass and there's 70 babies uh, all in their little, car, you know, carts because they haven't been delivered to their mothers yet. Uh, <laughs> w none of us would make the mistake, I think, of saying that all 70 babies looked alike. They all have distinguishing features, points of differentiation. Even upon delivery, at the earliest stages of the business, a company has distinguishing features, points of differentiation. 
components of its culture, of its brand. And those points need to be teased out, protected, harvested, whether you're doing under a million in sales or whether you're doing well over a billion in sales. The principles still apply. And as we made it uh, in the point on the earlier in the show, you know, the stakes are higher for small companies because small companies don't have the margin of error that large companies have, either in budget allocations or in branding and differentiation. And so I think the point I'm trying to make there in the book that I wrote called Harvesting Intangible Assets is just, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure you understand what intangibles you have, make sure you protect them, and make sure that you are able to maximize revenue streams and new opportunities from them. And um, I do think the great point that you're raising is that many companies assume that they don't have these assets until they're much further along. I mm-hmm. say that's wrong. I say that you have these assets literally from from the moment you're birthed. That's why we're calling the show Smart Tips for Entrepreneurs. Thank you, Andrew. Brian Moran, you want to comment on the words of wisdom we just heard from Andrew Sherman? Ursula, of course, chime in anytime. Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. Well, I didn't hear that question. The question is, what do you think about his comment that every company, even the newbies, the smallest ones, have something intangible that's unique, differentiating, and they shouldn't shouldn't miss the opportunity to maximize it and promote it and become competitive based on that? Am I correct in that assumption, Andrew? Yes. Did I get it right? Yes. Okay. Brian, thoughts? Um, I don't entirely agree with Andrew, and I can say that because I'm a safe distance away from him. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think there are three types of businesses, right, small businesses. You have your, your true small business owner who, you know, runs the retail location, still has the opportunity to, to uniquely identify their business, right, and, and provide a unique selling proposition to their customers, but most choose not to do that. They just, it's all about work-life balance for them. You know, they, 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 they uh, work to live. And then, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the entrepreneurs, and those are the ones who are most uh, trying the hardest to, uh, you know, uniquely identify themselves in the marketplace. In between those two, you have what I call a passionate passionate small business owner, and they get Mm -hmm. tugged between the work-life balance of the small business owner and the aspirational growth of an entrepreneur. And it's somebody who um, has a, uh, you know, it's very good at what they do. They're very successful. And um, if they chose to, they could probably expand their business greatly. But they do have commitments. Maybe it's family or, mm-hmm. you know, a hobby or something that they love to do that keeps them from, or, or maybe it's just they, they don't like the idea of, of growing to the point where uh, it becomes unwieldy for them. But uh, I believe inconvenient. that, that those inconvenient people, is the word. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, yes. And I believe that they are the ones who uh, have the greatest opportunity in terms of, of, you know, providing that unique selling proposition. Uh, Brian, your point is, is so well taken. I'm a devotee of Shark Tank on TV, and not in, not infrequently the sharks will say to somebody, this is just a hobby. It's not a business. Go back and take care of your kids. Go babysit your grandchildren. Go keep that – go become – keep doing your job as a traffic crossing guard or, or as a, uh, you know, somebody who works in the local whatever company. This is just a hobby. So maybe they're missing the mark that there could be a great, unique differentiator in that startup that is a hobby, but it's so wonderful it could 
could and should go bigger. But your your point well taken about it could be inconvenient to their lifestyle. So yeah. that's a question is where's that precipice where they say the road not taken, Robert Frost, you know, do you take the left part of the of the Y in the road, the fork? Do you take the right? Do I really want this business to succeed? So Brian, just finish that thought for me, please. How how does an entrepreneur make that decision? Yes, I'm gonna jump right. off and do it big. Yes, that is exactly what I tell my clients, that you go down a path. You know, Andrew wrote a great book called Road Rules, which, you know, he talks about the journey that you take and, and, and how, how to, you know, survive on the journey. But you come to these forks in the road in business. And, you know, to go to the left, that means you're a small business owner. To go to the right means you're an entrepreneur, all right? So it, it's when you come to, like, hiring new people, opening new locations, taking outside money, making an investment into your business, opening, you know. And so these forks in the road, you know, for, for Robert Frost, to quote Robert Frost, you know, don't take the road less traveled simply because it's less traveled. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, if you make the mistake of making a decision as an entrepreneur to grow your business, hire new employees, open a second location. When you really are a small business owner at heart, you're going to figure that out in about six months, and you're going to do everything you can to try and get out of the situation. It, suddenly the, the new commitment that you've made is like an albatross around your neck. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to hire these people. I don't, I, I'm spending too much time in my company. And you know, it's the same thing with an entrepreneur. Like, if you invest all this money into, uh, I, I'm sorry, for, for, for a, a small business owner, you're an entrepreneur, and you decide, okay, you know, I'm not going to grow, uh, I'm not going to hire new people, and in fact, you were an entrepreneur at heart, it's a lot easier to move over to that because you haven't made the commitment, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, at any point, you can move from a small business owner to an entrepreneur. It's a lot harder going the other way. So my best piece of advice is figure out your long-term view of your company before you start your journey or as soon as you can into it. And personal mission, I think, has to be part of that is who do you really want to be when you grow up and when your company does or doesn't grow up. Thank you so much. Ursula, I want to hear on you from this, on this topic before we segue into something from your notes. Ursula, address Brian's disagreement with my point? Well, you can, but, you know, you got to let the lady jump in at some point. Hold on. I'm letting the lady jump in. I just want to make sure I get to, you know, close the loop with Mr. Sherman. Of course you do. Ursula, do you want to to accede the point to to Mr. Sherman or do you – go ahead. Andrew? Andrew Andrew and Brian, you can talk offline about that. Um, (laughs) Over some Pappy Van Winkle, I hope. Right. Exactly. No, he just sent me pictures of it. It doesn't actually buy me any. Go ahead, Ursula. I was going to add to what Brian was saying that, you know, this journey that the entrepreneur is taking, a lot of times you need to be networking with people taking that similar journey. I know that in the Bay Area here in Silicon Valley, we have a great organization called Startup Grind. And this is a place where entrepreneurs can come and share their stories and learn from each other. And I think that is part of the journey. And it relates back to the whole uh, question with social and with networking. And, um, you know, I always like to hear the customer story of how they got to where they are today. And if you can share those experiences, because entrepreneurs are going to fall. And as Brian had mentioned earlier, it's these mountains and valleys that you're going to be going into on this journey. And if you can learn from it and learn from others, um, then you have the possibility of succeeding. Thank you, Ursula. Andrew, did you have anything else you want to jump in with before I change the direction here? No, you go ahead. I'll take you off the side <laughs> offline. No problem. <laughs> 
I've, n- I've never had anybody say that on the show. Okay. Th- thank you, Ursula, for directing traffic. I appreciate that. Ursula, ring them. I want to talk about millennials. You said to me in your notes before the show, we need to look to millennials to drive small business sales growth. You added millennials are very comfortable with technology. They adopt it at a faster rate than other parts of the population. They see technology as a way to break down geographic boundaries and level the playing field. So let's talk about millennials, their role either as the entrepreneurs or as the marketplace for the entrepreneurs. How do you see millennials playing this role in driving small business sales growth? Go ahead, Ursula. So millennials, I think I mentioned this earlier, that they're kind of born with this iPad in their hands. They come out of the womb and they've got their um, you know, cell phone or iPad, at least the younger generation. I mean, millennials are defined as those born after 1980. But what I see with all the companies that I've worked with is the Internet and networking and social and cloud and mobile has allowed anyone in the world to communicate with anyone. So you could have a small, you know, startup in Brazil, and they have this great product, and they could be selling it to someone in Norway. And that is the fascinating thing with millennials is they just get it. They are using technology to benefit their business, to connect with people. And as I said before, it's the whole cloud, um, social, mobile. You know, mobile right now, there are, you know, places in the world that they don't have a landline. I think you mentioned um, in our pre-call here that all three of us are on a landline. How crazy is that? Well, in other areas of the world, mobile is the way that people can communicate. And what a great thing that now having Wi-Fi. You know, there's talking of drones being flown over these less populated areas to give people access to Wi-Fi. So these millennials, naturally, they, this is part of their DNA. They're born with it, and we have to use that to our advantage. Um, I think the total addressable market, um, you know, for the small and medium uh, businesses is going to grow to around $88 million by 2017. And so we have this window right now to really, um, as, um, as businesses, to um, address this market. Andrew, Brian, who wants to chime in on millennials? I'll uh, I'll start. I mean, I spent a lot of time with millennials, not only in the classroom, but you know, both of my kids are millennials, and I and I've become mentors to their friends. And everything that Ursula said is right. I mean, there's a different mindset, uh, a different approach towards work, a different approach towards career planning, a different approach towards consuming products and services. And anyone not focused on, on them as the future leaders of, of our planet is missing out the point. At the same time, I think they take a little bit of criticism that's unwarranted. I mean, there's, there's mm-hmm. a notion that they won't work as hard, they don't have a work ethic, that they're the trophy generation, you know, where everyone in eighth place on the soccer team gets a trophy. And some of that is true. <laughs> but I will tell you, I see a lot of very hardworking millennials that remind me of myself at their age. And they still do have a very strong work ethic, and they're scared. They're scared that they'll never be able to achieve the career success that the four of us had, and they need mentoring and coaching and guidance from us as to, you know, like Brian said in the Road Rules book, you know, share the road. Be a, be a, be a tour guide to those that have traveled the road, that, that want to travel the roads that you've already traveled. Great points. Anybody else on this one? Before I go to another topic, we've got six minutes before break, and I want to make one more segue here. Everybody good? Say yes. 
Yes. I'll take the, good. I'll take the silence as yes. Brian Moran, I'm going back to your notes. You say one of the biggest mistakes growing companies make is not having a proper contingency plan in place. And you describe it's not enough to have a great, well-thought-out business plan to run the business. The leadership team and the employees need to know what to do when da-da-da-da-da crisis strikes. Brian, what kind of crisis are we talking about? Scare me, but don't scare me. Go ahead. It's whether it's natural or man-made, you know, your your business gets hit by a hurricane, a tornado, an earthquake. Uh, somebody steals from your company. Uh, your 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 business gets ransacked. You lose all your computers. Disaster happens, and and it happens to every business. Or you get hit with the Great Recession. Um, and it's not enough to just simply have a plan A, which I know there are a lot of businesses out there that don't have plan A. But you can't have just plan A because life and business doesn't go according to plan. You need plan B, plan C, plan D. And, you know, it's, it's regularly stress test your plan and say, what if this were to happen? What if we were to lose our largest account? How much does that represent? If it's 25, 30, 35% of your business, they're not going to tell you, oh, by the way, we're leaving in six months. They're going to call you up and say, we've decided to move our account to another company, you know, maybe one of your competitors. And that's it. You're lucky if you get 30-day notice. And in 30 days, you've got to figure out either how to replace 35% of your revenue or you've mm-hmm. got to cut at least 35% of your expenses. And in some cases, you've committed to contracts based on the work that you've had. So you're, if you really want to succeed, and I go back to my opening statement, you know, not only will you find a way, but you'll find a second way. Like you will keep going, but you'll have to do it in a very factual, methodical manner. So does this go go in support of the old phrase, pardon me, don't put all your eggs in one basket? In other words, plan for contingency from the start? Well, it, you know, as my grandfather used to say, if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, you better guard that basket, uh, and you better know that basket intimately. But, yes, it's true. You, if you can avoid that, um, you, what you want to do is diversify your portfolio of clients so that um, when, in fact, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a small business, if you're a retailer, you have many customers, right? And so that's, mm-hmm. that's not as big as a concern as somebody who is, uh, working with a handful of clients, and, and some of them represent at least 20% of the revenue. But absolutely, you need to – it goes back to just stress testing your business. Do you have the right mm-hmm. insurance in place? Are you, yes. um, are you backing up all your computer data, and are you mm-hmm. moving it off-site? Um, so you look at every component, every department of your business and say, what if, create what-if scenarios. What if this would happen? Are we set up to work remotely? You know, right. or it, and what if your suppliers go out of business? What if they change their mind? What if their their resources dry up a, a lot? I I agree and understand. Andrew Sherman, you want to chime in on this on contingency planning for small businesses, Ursula, as well? You know, it it's gotten to a point where the bumper sticker blank happens, uh, and I don't think I should say on air what the blank is, but we know we're big boys and girls. Go but, ahead. But it's true. I mean, yeah. you know, it's not even around. It's not even crisis anymore. It's almost like expected that something mm-hmm. will happen, and you better be ready for it. Your computer system will crash. Your social media will go down. You'll have five employees poached by a competitor. You'll have a new foreign competitor coming to the marketplace you weren't expecting that hits you from your blind side. I mean, 
you know, uh, you, you know, one of your products will cause an injury. Um, it, we are in a world now where, you know, it's not about contingency planning as much as almost assuming that the contingency will come true and then, and then praise your lucky stars if it doesn't. Uh, so I would urge our listeners today to make sure that they've got those, you know, risk management plans. One of the hottest topics in big companies today is ERM, Enterprise Risk Management. And small and mid-sized enterprises need to take a page out of that playbook. Sounds like you should expect the crisis to happen and expect a lot of them to happen, hopefully not at the same time. Ursula, I'd love to hear what you have to say on this. I agree both with uh, Brian and Andrew. And I think, you know, uh, Andrew's point of risk management is excellent. Um, You have to have that, but also with your ambition, you have to keep marching on because the world keeps revolving, and if you don't change with it and keep going, um, they're going to leave you behind. So the only thing I can say is just never give up, keep marching, have that risk management planned into your um, overall strategy, but keep going. Okay. Anybody else want to talk about that? We're just about ready for break, and I'm going to give you all – go ahead. Who wants to speak? Please. Brian, um, Mm -hmm. it's all about the fear of the unknown. It's what keeps you up at night. That's the single most important question you can ask yourself in business. What keeps you up at night? And and it's it's two four-letter words, fear and risk. And you, you, can't, you can't put your arms around it, and that's what the stress is all about, the anxiety. Face your fears. Face your fears and build that contingency plan. So you're saying don't take an extra Valium or Xanax when you go to sleep. <laughs> write down, write down the list. It's, it's like being prescient. It's saying I, I'm not going to wait to dream it. I know what's on my mind. I know what's coming down the pike sooner or later. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to address it. Then I'll be able to sleep at night because I have embraced the possibility and opportunity of contingency planning and crisis exactly. management. Would that Okay. Oh, thank God. Now we can all sleep much better. <laughs> Ursula, any com- Ursula, is this what keeps you awake at night, this kind of conversation? Are you getting good information to put into your next startup-based thriller novel? Ursula, talk to me for a second before we go to break. Oh, definitely. Let me tell you, it's a target-rich environment in Silicon Valley to be working with uh, all these startups and uh, mid-sized companies. It's fascinating, and I just get a kick out of uh, you go out on you know for dinner and you come across so many people, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I can tell you um, all the ideas, and at night. Yeah, I, I don't get much sleep at night. I think Brian and I have had these conversations uh, texting each other occasionally, and I'm like, what are you doing up? And he's a night owl, <laughs> and my mind, my mind keeps going. And I think, you know, that is a stress that is put on entrepreneurs, that they're always thinking and wanting to succeed, and sometimes that does disrupt sleep. But uh, I've been sleeping pretty soundly lately, so I think things are going well. Glad to hear that. Has a startup in Silicon Valley, one more question, we're just about ready for break, Ursula. Has a startup ever called you and said, Ursula, was that my company you were writing about in privileged corruption? Was that me? Did you did you hide the guilty to to protect the innocent, or did you hide the whatever? Do you ever get accused? You know, they always say in the beginning of novels, uh, these are based based on real people, real stories, but we have changed the name to protect the guilty. Do you oh, ever have definitely. anybody really? Definitely. Now, I'm actually going tonight to a San Jose Mystery Readers um, group where I'm presenting my book, and I know I'll get those questions. I had one up in Menlo Park a couple months ago, and you know what? Uh, All the characters are a culmination of different people. There's no one specific person, but uh, 
then again, you never know if you work with me, you might end up in a novel. Who knows? Well, Brian Moran and Andrew Sherman, be forewarned. If you haven't appeared in one of her novels, you may after today's radio show. Guess what? I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm going to be after the break. We're going to take a break and give Brian, Andrew, and Ursula a chance to look into the crystal ball, whether it's in the boat shed, the back of the car, the trunk, the attic. I don't care where it is. Find it. Polish it. Don't tell me if it's real crystal or if it's stupid. I don't care what, how much you paid for it. I want to know if we fast forward five or six years. Hindsight's 2020. Let's go six years to 2020 when we come back. What kind of advice do you think you'd be giving to small to mid-sized businesses? What kind of smart tips for entrepreneurs would you give in six years? We'll start with that premise. Go prepare, and we'll be right back after a break. Brad out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Thank you very much. And we're back with Brian Moran at Brian Moran and Associates, Andrew Sherman, a partner in the D.C. office of Jones Day, and Ursula Ringham, director of Global Indirect Channels Ecosystem at SAP and a mystery thriller novelist about startups. Woohoo! So it's time for our predictions round. We call it the crystal ball. Let's look ahead. Brian Moran, would you like to go five years to 2019, or do you want to give us the benefit of 2020 hindsight? Go ahead, Brian. I'm going 2020. Uh, go for uh, broke. Go ahead. Six years from now, um, and what's interesting is I'm working with a, a, the gentleman who founded uh, TED. He has a, a conference called the 555 Conference, Finding the Future First. And so he is, I, I've been listening to a lot of what he has to say about where the future is going to be in 2020. It's a conference that starts next year. And um, mm. I think it's going to be, I think business is going to be radically different than what we see right now. And the overwhelming uh, majority of that will have to do with technology. I think the, the, you're going to be looking at a, a you know, one-world economy, and um, I think that um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll revert to an artisan world economy where you'll have um, a lot of people who will be specialists in what they do, and the, they'll be all operating in a global marketplace. And I think uh, if you're a business now in 2014, and, and I, I tell everybody, you should look and say, where do I want to be in 2020? And think 
think big and then double it if if you are an entrepreneur you know that's that's the way you need to approach 2020 because technology will drive a lot of your growth so and the way you do this is in the next 6 years crawl walk run drive fly soar then and you lay it out year by year that's how i'm going to get to this incredible goal in 2020 I wrote that down. Crawl, walk, run, drive, fly, fly, soar in the next six years. How to get to your to your journey, to your right. goal. Wow, wow, wow. That, that has to be crocheted somewhere or posted on the side of a building. I don't know. Group, get the Put graffiti artist. Get yeah, the graffiti. Right now, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, you very much, Brian. I think we're going to have a little extra time for a bonus round. But for right now, let's go to the tips for smart entrepreneurs from Andrew Sherman. Andrew, quickly tell us. Who is Jones Day? What is Jones Day? What do you do? Uh, sure. I'm a corporate transactional lawyer, business strategist, uh, focused on business growth uh, for both SMEs and more established companies. Uh, Jones Day is the third or fourth largest law firm in the world. We've got offices over the world, all over the world. And uh, as Brian said, we are moving towards a much more global, uh, integrated economy. And, you know, I, I made the decision almost six years ago that, if that were really true, and I believed it would be over the next five to ten years, that you know I needed to be at a firm with offices around the world committed to you know collaboration and and, and a strong culture. Um, in in terms of peering into the future, um, I'd like to go back to something Brian said at the outset. You know, I do think mm-hmm. that uh, you can either look at life as a roller coaster or as a merry-go-round, and people choose to live their life as a merry-go-round. You know, they. Their ups and downs are limited to that little horse that goes up and down about a foot. Um, entrepreneurs need to be ready for a roller coaster. We're going to have some amazing times. I think we're in for a great year next year, and we're going to have some times that look like three years ago. It's part of the economic cycle. As we become more global, as we become more integrated, we have to be ready, as, as Brian said, for the descents and gathering our acorns during the ascents um, and getting stronger. So. I think it's going to be a little rough and tumble, um, but the entrepreneurs that are prepared for it will thrive in that chaos, and the small companies that don't are going to be consumed. And it's, I don't mean to sound overly Darwinian, but I think that to get to the point at 2020 where we are as integrated as a planet as we can be, there's going to be some rough edges along the way, and you've got to be ready. You've got to listen into this radio show every time it's on you got to listen to what the experts say and you got to gather all your knowledge so that you're ready for that volatility because it's coming well i appreciate the plug thank you very much i do appreciate that thank you andrew ursula ringham i can give you two minutes we're down to three minutes till the close here boy it moves fast so no bonus round go ahead ursula two minutes what do you see let's take you to 2020 along with the guys so what do you see (laughs) ursula go ahead well i see that there's some millennial right now that, you know, in their home office, on the computer, has this ambitious idea, and um, they will become the next great company. And it's all based on technology. There's something that is being created today that we don't even know about, and in 2020, it's going to be the next big thing that's going to change our lives. I mean, I remember when the Internet was just beginning. I mean, I was working at Adobe. Someone handed me this uh, disc. Remember discs? It had tapes mm-hmm. on it, Mosaic. Mosaic was a code name for Netscape that Mark Andreessen created. And I remember looking at, you know, Internet, how can I even use this? I mean, when Google first started, everyone's like, how can a search engine make any money? 
and look at Google today. So, you know, in summary, these millennials, they will have the idea, and you just have to persevere. You have to have your contingency plan. You know, as the other speakers, Brian and Andrew, were saying, you know, you have to have a plan um, that something will happen. And how do you get around that? And so in 2020, I'm interested to see what technology is going to be changing the world, uh, where we're going to be with politics and government. But I can guarantee that the world will become smaller uh, with social, mobile, and um, all the technologies um, to use to analyze everything. Thank you very much. I'm taking copious notes here because I love all, I love all of these predictions. Great job, everyone. By the way, we until recently had a separate series, a mini series, uh, called Startup Focus with Game Changers. And we always had a startup or two or three on the show talking about life in the trenches. So I'm very pleased to have the three of you talking about your observations of life in the trenches. Good talking points all. And guess what? It's time for me to do my predictions and I wrote them down. Well, let's see what's happening tomorrow is thursday it's not belgium it's the future of business with game changers right here on the business channel 7 a.m pacific i'll be here bright and early and we're going to talk about the process change the future of process change big topic then we take a break over the weekend and we come back strong on monday morning with financial excellence with game changers that's 10 a.m pacific tuesday well it's hr trends with game changers always an interesting topic on leadership or millennials or dni diversity and inclusion 9 a.m pacific and next wednesday i'll be right back here where i belong on Coffee Break with Game Changers, 8 a.m. Pacific. Thank you to my esteemed guests. Very talkative, very smart, and I know you're all going to run out and buy that Pappy Van Winkle and have a good party. I hope I'm invited. Brian Moran at Brian Moran Associates, a pleasure. Andrew Sherman at Jones Day, a pleasure. And Ursula Ringham at SAP. Thank you so much for bringing this all together with Malcolm Kimberlin, my colleague at SAP. Great topic. I think we're going to have you back for part two later in the year. I'm sure there's a lot more coming before 2020. Shout out to Brad and the Business Channel team and to SAP Radio, a.k.a. Malcolm Kimberlin, for tweeting our panelists' words of wisdom. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. If you don't know what it is, here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Signing off until tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.